Hi, this is Maddie G, your Bronx Warrior Goddess, here to talk about overcoming everything and anything life can throw at you and doing it with style, humor, courage, and love. I've had lots of life experience overcoming adversities of all kinds. You will hear my personal stories, interviews with other survivors, conversations with friends, and commentary. Stories of passion, trauma, resilience, love, and everything in between. Every area of life is open for discussion. No topic is off limits. Tune in and tap into your own indomitable spirit. This is podcast number five, and the title is The Baltimore Story and Bonds of Friendship. And as always, I'm going to start with a quote. To the wrongs that need resistance, to the right that needs assistance, to the future in the distance, give yourselves. Carrie Chapman Cat. Okay, so here we go. We all got to Baltimore uh, from Montreal, and the Panthers helped Judy and me find a place to stay with a movement woman who knew Arden, who had waived extradition, and he was put into Baltimore City Jail. He was indicted and imprisoned on charges that he and members of the Panthers had killed a suspected police informant within their ranks in 1969. I'm going to start calling Art Turco. That Turco is his last name, and that's how he introduced himself to me, and that's what we called him for a long time. And then Judy wanted to change it to Art, so we did. But really, I have to call him Turco because that's how I know him, and that's how I'm going to talk about him from now on. We got to Baltimore and we settled in and we tried to figure out what we were going to do. Turco was held without bail and so there was no way he'd be getting out before trial. So we had to make all the arrangements and do whatever we needed to do to visit him in prison, which we actually did every week for the year he was there. In prison, Turco was not very liked by the guards and the police because he was an attorney. And Turco, being Turco, of course, wanted to help everybody. And he was a jailhouse lawyer and was helping all the guys with their cases. So he was, of course, very unpopular with the guards and police. This also made Judy and me very unpopular because we were doing everything possible to support him. We were doing lots of research into the case against him, and Turco actually finally decided on Bill Kunstler as his attorney, and Bill would come down periodically to work on his case and be figuring out the strategy. We all became really good friends. Bill was a very powerful person with an enormous presence, a great sense of humor, and very, very smart and totally devoted to Turco's case. We visited Turco every week in jail, but I also wanted to give them time to be alone, at least through the glass and the phone that we had to talk through. So I would visit some of the other guys in prison and hear what was going on, how terrible the conditions were, how they were being treated, and I would do everything I could to be supportive and getting whatever information out that the guys wanted to get out and giving them information. It was quite an interesting time, to put it mildly. Also, going to Baltimore City Jail 
every week was not fun. It was a very depressing place, and there was, everything was always clink, clanging around, and the guards were always watching us, and we had to pass a, met, a metal detector, uh, and the whole thing was very depressing and awful, to say the least. I don't know if anybody's ever visited anybody in jail, but it's really pretty terrible. And also, because Judy and I were Turco's big support system, they directed a lot of harassment in our direction. And this was also a time when law enforcement was working to destroy the Panther Party. So there was a lot of repression going on. So we're living in this place, and at, especially at night, we, there would be a cop car parked across the street, and sometimes they would shine a light up in our window, and then other times we could see the outline of a rifle in their car. And then a couple of times, Judy and I were walking down the street to go somewhere, and a police car would just slowly follow us. And then one time, we walked into a restaurant right downstairs from where we lived, and two cops came in and said they needed to search our purses because there was talk about drugs in the community. It was really scary, and people were told who wanted to visit us that their names would be taken and it could, and it could get them into trouble spending any time with us. And then other times, cops would just station right outside our door and we'd have to walk through passing by them to go upstairs to our home. To say we were scared is putting it mildly. And it, it, we, Judy and I responded to this stress very differently. She was able to sleep because sleeping was her escape from everything that was going on. And me, who can't sleep under stress, I would be up all night periodically looking out the window to see if the cops were still there or what was going on. So I didn't get very much sleep. The other thing I do have to admit, because it was really scary, Judy had to stay because she was Turco's wife. I, on the other hand, was just a friend, and I could leave any time I wanted. And I do have to say, oh, I'm pretty ashamed of it. I did think about leaving a lot of times because it was really so dangerous and scary. But me being me, I couldn't leave and wouldn't leave because I really don't think you leave people or abandon them, especially in very rough times. And this was a very rough time, although a lot of the time I wanted to get the hell out of there. What was going on for me and Judy on the street was really nothing compared to what was being done to Turco in prison. As I said, he was not very popular with the, with the guards or the police because he was helping the guys out with their cases. He was also diabetic and needed insulin every day, and they fooled around with that a lot. They would give it to him late or early or skip a day, and this was something they, over, they held over his head all the time because he did need the insulin to stay alive, and it actually could mean his life or death. Then they had a rebellion in the prison right around the same time that Attica had their uprising, and Turco was one of the spokespeople for the prison 
and he made the newspapers and that made him even less popular and more of a threat. And they would put him in isolation periodically. So there was a combination of not giving him insulin and uh, putting him in, in isolation. And then there were times when Judy and I would go there to visit him and they would say somehow he couldn't be found. And no matter what we said or did, he couldn't be found. So we have no idea what effect that was having on him either. But I'm sure it was a huge disappointment not to see us as it was a big disappointment for us not to see him. Also, the Baltimore branch of the Panther Party was extremely helpful through everything. If there was any way they could support us, they did, and they definitely made sure to check on us and make sure we were all right, considering the harassment we were dealing with by the police. After being in prison for about a year awaiting trial, it finally came time for the trial. And this was really a kangaroo trial. The evidence against him was so shaky and ridiculous, it would almost be laughable if it wasn't so serious and meaning life or death. The trial was about two weeks, and it was a hung jury of black four, eight black people and four white people. It was considered a mistrial. Turco was offered a deal, plead guilty to a misdemeanor and go free on time served. After discussing it with Bill, they decided to take the offer and get the hell out of Baltimore. I remember the night that Turco got out of jail because it was so much joy in the air and he and Judy couldn't wait to be alone. <laughs> and they made that very clear, but there was a lot of celebrating going on also. They wanted to get out of town as quickly as possible and decided to move to Rochester, New York. I had become friends with Charles Morgan of the ACLU Prisoner Assistance Project, and I began working with him and found a really nice woman as a roommate and moved in with her. While I'm working at the ACLU, I started a free books for prisoners program. And then, of course, I got fired from my job because I was visiting somebody in, in the prison in Hagerstown, and one of the guys gave me a picture of this thing called the rack that was there. If you see these old movies of these racks that they would put people on, that's exactly what it was. It was a rack with uh, straps to hold people down, and this is what they used on prisoners. So I, of course, sent the picture to the newspapers, and my boss was told that I was now considered a threat to city, state, and national security, and I had to be fired. So once again, I was fired from a job again. So I decided to go to Rochester and stay with Judy and Turco and did that for a little while. But I really wasn't crazy about Rochester, so I moved back to New York. We stayed in touch over all these years, and somehow we would lose touch with each other because I moved around a lot. Uh, one time I had a party when I was living on 7th Street, and Judy and Turco came, and a couple times I went out to Long Island where they lived, and all of our kids would play together, and it was really wonderful. So even though we lost touch sometimes over the years, there was a very strong uh, bond between us that time couldn't change or erase. Uh, 
and we were always in each other's hearts. I cannot think about my life without thinking about Judy and Turco as being a huge part of who I am and hope to really always be. They both have passed away several years ago, and I know they're resting in peace. I also figure they're having fabulous conversations and probably getting into some amount of debate and pretty horrified over what's happened over the last four years with Trump and the pandemic. I'm sure they're hanging out with Christina, and I know that there's that there's definitely so much love between us, and I know that they are safe and happy, which makes me very happy. And I know that sometime, some way, we'll all be together again. So tune in next week and hear how my training and work in the Rainbow Coalition helped me save my daughter's life. And as always, I will end with a quote. I'm actually going to do two quotes this time. The first one is that is, friendship that flows from the heart cannot be frozen by adversity, as the water that flows from the spring cannot congeal in winter. That's by James F. Cooper. The other one is, truly great friends are hard to find, difficult to leave, and impossible to forget by someone unknown. So that's this podcast. Thank you for listening. Hear stories that are compelling, enlightening, challenging, and intertwined with world events. With every story, you'll come away with hope, love, new outlooks on life, and tips on how to overcome whatever comes your way. Telling stories is wired into our brains and how we live in community with each other. Never a dull moment. Nothing will be held back. We will laugh and cry together. So listen up and let's kick some ass. Please share, subscribe, and review, and check out my book on Amazon, Love in Action, A Mother's Memoir, My Daughter's Battle Against Cancer. Thank you for listening. Take good care and much love.